choice, Spin on Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is a time once a month where Jess puts down her knitting needles and Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. Happy New Year, horror fans, and we welcome you to join us in another exciting year of horror. We are starting 2019 with delving into my favorite subgenre of horror, which is focused around the paranormal, but more specifically around haunted fucking houses. So pick your poison, listen on if you dare. So we chose this month to look at The Innkeepers and The Legend of Hell House. We chose The Innkeepers because we think that it is a wonderful example of modern ghost hunting and the concept of, you know, the power of suggestion. Yeah. And the reason why we chose uh, The Legend of Hell House for this uh, to kind of contrast it, compare and contrast it to The Innkeepers is it is also a very interesting film that shows the 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 opposition of science versus faith when it comes to things such as ghost hunting and paranormal investigations. So I feel like they really bring a good dichotomy to each other in terms of discussing this whole idea of the haunted house and, and how the power of suggestion can impact what we believe is haunted, in quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an interesting kind of first and for Jess and I, but I don't think we've actually ever truly discussed this, but we put on a Twitter poll with regards to those that are believers versus those that are skeptics. And Jess falls along. I'm a believer. <laughs> <laughs> Jess is a believer and I am a skeptic. And her and I have never really fully, fully discussed this. So Jess... Why are you a believer? Why am I a believer? Um, because I have a tendency to believe that there is more to this world that we that meets the eye. And to me, I don't want to think that what I do see in the world is, is it. Because then that's fucking boring as hell. Um, I've also had some interesting, unexplained experiences in my life that have made me think that, yeah, there ha there is something more to the world than what meets the eye. And I don't know. I just... I do believe in ghosts. I do believe that, you know, residual energy can remain existing when something traumatic enough has happened to someone, to someone or something, right? It's like going through, um, if you know going through in terms of not even just a haunted house, but an area that you've known like huge atrocities have happened, you can just feel the energy of the space and knowing that just like something of, a, of the past is still lingering there. So that's why I'm a believer. And uh, so, skeptic. Why are you skeptics? Why are you skeptics? <laughs> I am definitely highly, highly skeptical. Jess and I differ very, very much in this way is that I feel very much the exact opposite of her. I'm very, um, I'd say, you know, science-based, practical, logical-based. Uh, I find the idea and the concept of ghosts and spirits and otherworldly elements uh, really fascinating, but I really, really have a hard time believing in it, wrapping my head around it, comprehending the fact that that could be something that truly exists. I have not, except for a recent experience at a seance, have not ever experienced any kind of paranormal situations 
And as much as I have tried in my life as a teenager, as a tween, trying seances and light as a feather, stiff as a board, Ouija boards and everything, trying our goddamn hardest to reach out to some spirits to spook the hell out of us and show us some kind of proof, it never happened. Later on, we will discuss more personal uh, experiences. And we also did an online um, discussion of other people's experiences. So for the Twitter poll for this Believers and Skeptics, we had 38 votes overall and 45% of people that voted are believers in the paranormal, whereas 55% were skeptical. So it was very, very close race. Incredibly close. More so than I actually thought would would happen. I thought there would be much more skeptical people. Well, it was interesting because I noticed the comments in that post, too. There was a lot of people who were saying, like, I want to believe. Like, I'm skeptical, but I do want to believe. Like, show me the evidence. And I know that you've discussed this before, where you're like, when you went to that seance, you're just like, I want to believe. But <laughs> it's like, fucking show me a ghost. Please have a ghost appear to me right now. Because if I believe and if I see it, then, yes, it would just, like, completely be life-changing. But... Yes, I fall under that same thing. Yeah, there was one comment that said that they were a skeptic but fascinated by the subject and anything that can't be debunked. And yeah, most people like were skeptical, but they really wanted to be believers. So it was really, really quite interesting. And Jess and I definitely differ in, in regards to that. When she talks about the energy of a room, I have no idea even what she's talking about. <laughs> she's Maybe I haven't into, opened myself up to it, uh, as one would she's say. Gone but. Into, she's gone into frou-frou language, everyone. Here she goes. I'm like, you know, like, you're like, you're like the scully to my molder. I'm totally. Just, you know. <laughs> and I was a redhead for a number of years. There you, there you go, right? <laughs> So we actually have not a special guest, but a guest appearance by James White. So he is a professional mind reader. James is an expert on human behavior, and he has toured and stunned audiences across the country. He has developed and started his own TV show and has won many awards in his career. He trains law enforcement, detectives, and people in sensitive areas on observation, memory, and handwriting analysis. He also runs the biggest seances in Canada, which have been sold out for years. So he is the mind reader medium. He has a variety of different things that I I attended his seance in October at the apparently incredibly haunted or well-known haunted Black Creek Pioneer Village in Toronto. And he has a little clip for us now that we're going to play for you. As someone who does seances for a living... I guess you could say the power of suggestion is something that's really powerful because if you think about it, if you told someone that the house is haunted versus telling the person the place is not haunted, studies all show that the place that is haunted, people are going to be naturally scared and associate things to the paranormal. It's kind of like a concept called tunnel vision. So if I basically told you, you know, every time you see a car and all your grandma's looking over you, you will notice every single time you see a cardinal and you think that's kind of like a paranormal or supernatural kind of thing. But the fact is you never noticed the million times you saw a cardinal before that. So the same thing applies in a haunted house. If you tell someone the house is haunted and they go inside and let's just say the water drips or something, they're more likely to associate that with the paranormal than not. I think the funny thing with seances is that people a lot of times do create their own monster. They create their own ghosts. So they kind of let their minds take over. I find the best horror movies are the ones that 
they don't show the monster. So the same thing applies in ghost hunting and things like that, where they might think something is paranormal when it's just them messing with their own heads. That being said, uh, is I've had a lot of weird stuff happen at seances where I personally cannot explain. My audiences personally cannot explain either. But the thing is, you almost have to put it under scientific conditions to see if it was just someone kind of just creating their own reality or scaring themselves without realizing it. So let's say a chair moves or something. How do we not know? It's just someone accidentally kicked the chair without realizing it. So I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying you really need cameras or you need something to catch it because even when you look at stuff like EVP, a lot of EVP is just the machine clicking. So it's not actually paranormal. I think there is a lot of bias put into ghost investigations and whatnot because if you're going to do a ghost investigation you're already assuming you're gonna possibly see a ghost so when they say they're unbiased those are the people that are most likely the most biased because you're going to a ghost investigation so it's kind of like a catch-22 it's kind of funny if you think about it that being said is you know it's hard to explain everything that does happen in a seance or in a ghost investigation but a lot of times science can explain most things if you do the proper testing. And I find a lot of times with the ghost shows or things like that, they don't actually do the proper testing. I've done over 700 seances in my life. I've been to some of the most haunted places, I guess in the country, in the world. And I personally don't know if I believe or not. It's one of those things where I'm only focused on the audience and hope that they experience something. But a lot of times I can't tell you if it actually happened or not because a lot of times it's, you know, eyewitness testimony. They're saying something, but if you look at every study, 75% of all eyewitness testimony is not accurate. So it's one of those things where, yes, I do believe them, but if you look at the studies, again, you know, you could think the other way. So now we're going to get into the history of paranormal investigation and where it essentially stems from is spiritualism. So we can give you a little bit of history of that movement. So the definition of spiritualism is that a system of beliefs, partly religious and partly allegedly scientific, which is based upon a number of obscure phenomena of which the interpretation is to be sought in the supposed agency, not only in incarnate men and women, but also in those who have died and are still supposed to be active in another sphere of existence. God is hearing that. Makes me cringe a little bit. (laughs) Boy. So this all started in 1848, and that's when the, yeah, the spiritualist movement truly began. It was started by two young sisters by the name of Catherine and Margareta Fox, aged 12 and 15. They lived in Hydesville, New York. These sisters were pivotal to the phenomenon such as the movement without a known physical cause of tables and other heavy objects and noises similar to knocking on furniture and walls. So that same year, so 1848, Catherine gained notoriety in the community by developing a code with which to interact with the knocking sounds that they heard, claiming those sounds were of intelligent origin. So soon these Fox sisters were spelling letters of the alphabet out loud, interrupted by the knocking when the desired letter was reached, which was showing, we think maybe, the indication of some form of intelligence. So the Fox family and the neighbors uh, concluded that the knocking was generated by Charles B. Rosma, apparently a traveling salesman murdered in their house, whose body would be found buried in the basement later on. They discovered his bones in their basement. That's horrifying. Maybe there was bad juju in that area. I don't know. (laughs) 
Uh, so this story was popularized and actually spread throughout America to England to Europe. Everyone heard about this and were fascinated by it. And those little Fox sisters were really the first to establish a method of communication to be, and they became known as mediums. And that's when modern spiritualism was born. So by about 18, like mid 1850s, give or take about 10,000 supporters transformed that, you know, those little Fox girls phenomena into an actual full social movement. Like I said, that spread pretty much across the world, but it was huge in Europe. Whereas the first modern spiritualist group started really in about 1853 in England. Spiritualists popularized the table-turning sessions, which comprised of the gathering of a group of people around a table and the formation of a chain, quote-unquote, in which the fingertips were generally resting on the table. After a while, the table would begin a circular motion without any apparent use of force, physical force, from the people in the chain. So they established codes of communication by which the tables would begin to answer questions by beating the feet on the ground, the use of a pencil attached to a basket or a clipboard. Participants would place their hands on the apparatus, which would move, forming phrases attributed to, the, to spirits. And this developed automatic writing, which we kind of saw at that seance, which, you know, I'll talk about later on, but really interesting thing. The mediums claim that the spirit would take possession of their arms, writing messages, and, you know, the invisible entities, or the spirits, let's say, uh, spoke to the content of the, mes of the messages as if speaking right into the medium's ear. In this movement, the spiritualists developed, uh, you know, some scientific tools to communicate with the dead so they could send and receive messages and mediums were also used as instruments. So people were used as instruments. Spiritualists claim that spirits use magnetic and electrical powers to manifest themselves. So for some people in this movement, they joined it for a variety of different, different reasons. Um, some of them were feeling a bit of like, they were disenchanted with technology and all the machines that were developing at the time and their effect on the body and society as a whole. So it prompted them to kind of turn to more psychics and spiritual type, you know, lifestyles to, you know, help with their deep moral, religious and intellectual anxieties that they were feeling. Then by 1870, millions of people believed in this, in, in the paranormal. They had mediums, seances and whatever, so many different things and they believed that believed in spirits and the body was the machine for those spirits. And as we know, and we will talk a little bit more about this a bit later on, but spiritualists, and I know that's the movement of spiritualism, threatened social, religious, and intellectual, you know, ideals, especially Christianity. Oh no, heaven forbid. <laughs> Literally, bum, bum, bum. heaven forbid. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so the seance actually was the center of this movement. It was important for, you know, mediums and those in the, you know, the believers of this. Uh, it was important for them to prove their abilities for mediums and everyone's beliefs. They devised rules and agreements to conduct them with increases the chances of spirit contact. So the people that joined these seances, so their behavior at what they called sittings, promoted really what type of manifestation would occur. So best sitters, the people at the seance, were polite, friendly, and passive. 
You know, they would sing in harmony with the others. Everything would be great. Whereas bad sitters, they were crude, they were rude. There were were often scientists that were, you know, they were resented because they would be seen as bad sitters. They were rude to mediums, and this can cause, you know, quote unquote, low character, unsatisfactory experiences. I find that interesting. Hmm. Um, So the mediums and the spiritualists and everything in these seances worked really hard to create this perfect environment for the mediums to do their work. Which made for some people a little skeptical about it. Because sometimes these seances would be done in the dark, where nobody could actually see what's going on, or with already known believers. Or they would put them in a very specifically designed place. So this made for some, you know, speculation for those that, you know, like myself, would be really skeptical of, you know, how true these seances are. Uh, Spiritualists faced intense criticism between 1860 to the 1870s, and they had to defend their beliefs, their, you know, their methods, and definitely their mediums for their innocence and them being genuine, you know, that their skills were true. Uh, There's this gentleman named William Carpenter, who is a physiologist and physician, and he said that people would go into seances expecting to see or experience spirits. This weakens the power over their senses, which left seance goers unable to make informed judgments on their experiences, which means they are more likely to deceive themselves, hallucinate, suffer lapses in concentration, and fall prey to medium trickery, which is, we'll talk about, the power of suggestion. Uh, He went on to further investigate the movement, and he was very anti-spiritualist. So the next four decades, going further further with this, uh, ended up and could be summarized in one word, which is parapsychology. Kelly gave this great description of the starting of the spiritualist movement and how that in, impacted uh, ghost hunting, paranormal investigations, and also creating the, the the study of parapsychology. And what I'm going to talk about is looking at two um, societies or associations that are actually quite prominent still today when it comes to paranormal investigation and in terms of research. And so the Society of uh, Psych... Physicus is like psychical research. This dates back to the 18th century, where their purpose was to investigate spiritual matters. It was the first association of its kind, by and it was started by journalist Ed Monk Rogers and and physicist William G. Barrett. And they built uh, this committee with other members in 1881 with the purpose to, and I quote, approach these varied problems without prejudice or prepossession of any kind and in the same spirit of exact and unimpassioned inquiry, which what has enabled science to solve so many problems, one less obscure nor hotly debated. So this is essentially like they wanted to investigate paranormal inve- paranormal phenomenon with a scientific nine, but also being open at the same time. The prominently studied were areas of hypnotism, disassociation, thought transference, uh, mediumship, the Reichenbach phenomenon, which I wish I had time to research that, I would have known what that is, apparitions, haunted houses, and seances. They have a, they have a physical, they still have a physical office, and they publish, uh, actually still recently, in peer-reviewed journals such as Society for Psychical Research Proceedings and Paranormal Review. 
And also part of this association was a very prominent uh, British psychic researcher and author, which is Harry Price. And I'll talk about him more later in his other associations with another group. He was known to work to investigate physical phenomenon and was also worked to expose fraudulent spiritualist mediums. Uh, he was born in January 17 of 1881. He died March 29th, 1948. And he was actually well known for his very publicized investigation of the Borley Rectory, which is known as one of the most haunted places in Essex, England. So when he joined the association in 1920, it was due to his work and knowledge of conjuring. So um, more, he focused on a lot of um, magicians. One of his early studies of his work was actually trying to defraud magicians in the sense of like, you know, showing that magic was, you know, not what it really was, um, which is what a lot of um, mediums, like uh, fraudulent mediums would use like magician tricks to try and use the power of suggestion to get people to believe what was happening. Um, and he would also be used to identify who are actually true mediums, like what were actually true resources. So also what was happening, so earlier, before the uh, creation of this society, we had a society called the Ghost Club. So this Ghost Club has its roots in Cambridge, England in 1855, and it really just started as an organization of a bunch of Trinity College students who just got together and they discussed um, phenomena about ghosts and psychic uh, elements in the world. But the group itself officially started in London in 1862, and this group actually included members such as uh, Charles Dickens and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who are famous English uh, writers. And the group mandate was to use practical means to investigate spiritualist phenomenon. So this group, that's, was the, the means of their practice was to just investigate the different spiritual activities, spiritualist activities that were happening in England at the time. And this group initially lasted until 1870 by, um, and disbanded when Charles Dickens had died because he had been a prominent figure in this organization. But in 1882, it was revived by Medium Stanton Moses and Alaric Alfred Watts. And the thing is that this group, the Ghost Club, really changed and it became more selective and it became very secretive. Um, it became an organization of, and I like I have in big, bold words, convinced believers, like people who really believed. And this was what made the Ghost Club very different from the um, Society of uh, Psychical Research, where members of this of this of the other society were more looking at things in a more practical, scientific way of explaining it. These were actually people who were they believed in it and they would try and find ways to make that relief more firm. What was interesting about this club is that women were not allowed, apparently, and membership, its members included both living and deceased members. So even if someone died, they were considered a, a member for life type thing and that they were always will be a part of all of their gatherings. And so really going with that belief that the dead still existed even after death. Over time, though, as the whole process of researching and paranormal investigation changed, it went from using seances to contact ghosts to using more lab-based research methods when investigating the paranormal. The club itself closed in 1936, and it had about 485 meetings by that time. However, it was revived by Harry Price, the gentleman I spoke to earlier, and he, 
he, um, and this was like essentially 18 months after it closed, he revived the society, but instead of making it an actual official kind of like association, he made it more of a dining society. So it, it gave her an opportunity for people who had, you know, were psychic researchers or they were um, mediums or had some kind of connection to some kind of like spiritualist movement where they would kind of get together and they would have dinner, they would have dinner together and then they would have talks after about various different types of topics in terms of the paranormal. What's different about this club is that women were allowed to join. They were allowed to attend these meetings it changed from being a spiritualist church or association but more of a group of skeptics gathering to discuss paranormal topics uh, once like i said this club is still in practice now they actually do investigations perform in england um every year they do a, a couple of places um and they've actually included more into their their conversation so they talk more about the study of ufos uh, dousing and cryptozoology so those are some of the organizations that are quite prominent when it comes to paranormal investigation and have influenced other groups. What's dowsing? Dowsing, uh, if I remember, call is like usually using like um, energy to find like water and stuff like that. I could be doing it wrong. I could be saying it wrong. I was just curious. Hadn't heard of it before. Sounds wet. <laughs> <laughs> we have this thing called Like Google. dowsing with water. Like, yeah, it just, you know. Anyways, is Oh, a type of a type of divination employed in attempts to locate groundwatered, buried metals or ores, gemstones, oil, grave sites, and many other objects and materials without the use of scientific apparatus. Alrighty, I'm sure they found a lot too. <laughs> so I came across this book, and God, I wish I could like actually get a copy of it and read it. Uh, I was able to find some some information about it. So it's called Radical Spirits, Spiritualism and Women's Rights in 19th Century America, written by Anne Browd. It seemed quite amazing. So I was able to get a little bit of information um, out of it. So spiritualism overall, you know, it was hugely popular and it stayed for about 37 years. That was like its height of popularity. Um, it developed... For a lot of people, as a responsive, wavering faith for, for Christians, you know, they wanted some proof over the quote-unquote evidence that, you know, Christianity was giving to them. Uh, we wanted some, they wanted some kind of, and I also want some kind of, scientific <laughs> evidence of their religious truths instead. Didn't want to just be hand-fed and like, oh yeah, no, this is, this is true. This is a thing that exists. Um, and the wonderful thing about the movement overall is that, you know, they weren't you know, people weren't asked if they believed in anything. You didn't have to believe in anything before joining. Uh, so in the movement, they call themselves investigators. Um, and this kind of like a religious movement, a spiritualist movement, uh, they wanted to prove the immortality of the soul by communicating with the dead, which, you know, helped the bereaved. Could be a form of entertainment. Like for me, show me your ghosts. And <laughs> show me your some... ghost. <laughs> <laughs> and for those that wanted to be fraudulent, you know, they could gain profit off of, you know, maybe the bereaved or people that wanted this entertainment just kind of for shits and giggles, essentially. So it became as, you know, an alternative to standard religious practices as a form of rebellion against death and authority. And it was wonderful because it appealed to literally everyone, men, women, all classes, all ages. And it really actually was a very empowering movement for women. As Jess was saying, you know, in that 
society and that organization, women weren't allowed at one point. Why? Who fucking knows, right? Um, but early spiritualism, there was equality in all members. Uh, women were able to attend meetings, speak aloud, because there was a lot of there was a lot of situations in you know the 1800s where women weren't allowed to be involved in anything or speak aloud or you know have a voice truly. Uh, so it was the exact opposite of this movement, which is why so many women were involved with it because it was so wonderful for them. So around that time, there was definitely a reduction in church, you know, those church goers and, and a reduction in standardized religious beliefs, like I previously mentioned. So there were about th- there was three trends that were happening around that time. The most common was, you know, people considering themselves spiritual over religious and they weren't belonging to like this organized religious kind of belief system. They didn't have any other relig- uh, religious affiliation. So maybe just spiritual or maybe they were atheists like myself. And the last trend was, you know, the emerging new age movement, which was uh, the new age movement is a compilation of metaphysical Eastern influence thought systems. These thought systems unite theology, nature, and philosophy. So people were on a quest for authentic spiritual experiences. So that's why, you know, they attempted to communicate with the dead through spirit wrapping, seances, Ouija boards, the paranormal. And and right now, paranormal investigators are driven by, you know, desire to confirm for themselves and to the world that there is an existence of life beyond death. More on our current day, modern day ghost hunting later. So there is some spiritual overtones of the practices, the movement of spiritualism, and and they have been documented uh, in a couple of uh, articles, one by Baker and Bader called The Paranormal, Paranormal America, Ghost Encounters, UFO Sightings, Bigfoot Hunts, and Other Curiosities in Religion and Culture, and they report that paranormal investigations are infused with religious and magical beliefs. Uh, also, Draper and Baker, who wrote Supernatural Portfolios, Certitude, exclusivity, and the curvilinear relationship between religiosity and paranormal beliefs conclude that the belief in ghosts, extraterrestrials, Bigfoot, and psychic phenomenon strongly predicted the belief in guardian angels. The spiritual significance of paranormal beliefs are not restricted to ghosts and hauntings. And, you know, there are even a bunch of other articles that show belief in UFOs and aliens are infused with spirituality. There's a gentleman, Wuth Wuth now, uh, who wrote, After Heaven, Spirituality in America Since the 1950s, who defines spiritual practice as those activities in which individuals engage in order to become more aware of their spirituality or to enrich and grow their spiritual lives. So in this context, spirituality refers to a state of being related to a defined supernatural or transcendent order of reality, or alternatively, as a sense or awareness of a super reality that goes beyond life as ordinarily experienced, which can be related to those that, you know, maybe go to church and they pray. There's rituals involved. There's a systematic, you know, a system of beliefs within it. It just is different from, you know, standardized religion. So the investigators, you know, they have their own tools, their own senses. They use mediums. They want to talk to ghosts and entities and spirits. 
Um, some of these uh, people in the spiritualist movements were atheists or agnostics who quote unquote lacked faith in the traditional sense, but they had some kind of belief, just like Jess said for herself, that there was something more going on. And these people, they wanted to have a proof of the afterlife. The use of science to prove this was really important because they wanted to have that kind of physical, the physicality of it. I mean, like, yes, this is happening. Therefore, this is a ghost. And there were some people that are quote unquote sensitive and they feel like they need to help people. It's their destiny, perhaps a calling and that they were ordained by God to do this. So there actually are some people that are very standardized in the religious beliefs that are mediums and feel like they're doing God's work by being mediums and talking to, you know, ghosts and dead people to, to help others who, you know, are bereaved or just want some closure in life or, you know, just to help people out. In terms of when it comes to ghost hunting, we noticed that, yes, it was quite popular in the terms of the moves of the spiritualist movement, but really we didn't see a huge boom in it. Like, I feel like now there's huge a big thing about ghost hunting like even when i started doing research on this topic it was like ghost hunting and it was like ghost hunting associations all throughout canada and ottawa and it was just like really the this idea of investigating ghosts really became popular in the 2000s when we saw a lot of paranormal tv series uh, such as haunted and ghost hunters come on the air and i will admit i 100 percent watch these shows <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I'm a believer i want to believe i want to sit and watch and kind of freak myself out a little bit and this is what happens is these series became very popular and there's like you know tons more uh, spin-offs i think there's what the very popular one that everyone really likes is that Zach Bannigan or something like that, uh, Ghost Adventures or something. I don't know. He they did he did the movie Demon House and I watched that and it was kind of really creepy. And what ended up happening is that this ended up leading to a huge increase of membership in a lot of established paranormal organizations and also the rise of the amateur ghost hunter, um, which we're going to be going in and talking about as well. So. And what's really interesting is because paranormal research itself does not require any scientific or any kind of specific credentials. Anyone can do it. Anyone can be a ghost hunter because there are basic and there's advanced tools. And that, while I'm a believer and I believe in ghosts, and there's a part of me that sometimes I wish that I was brave enough to go and be like a ghost hunter myself, but I'm too much of a scaredy cat. I just, you know, I, I would rather watch my ghosts on TV and not have to actually physically interact <laughs> in the sense. Um, but at the same time, too, a lot of amateur ghost hunters have actually gotten themselves into some pretty precarious and dangerous situations, which has actually led to death for a couple, for a couple people. So that's kind of as we're going to start off our current uh, current phenomena of ghost hunting. And Kelly will go into more about, you know, what is paranormal investigation? Definitely. Before that, a couple of stats, Canadian stats. Ugh. In 2016... Apparently, about 30% of Canadians said they believed in ghosts. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of, which is probably not surprising, a lot of <laughs> stats on this stuff for Canadians. There's some in the U.S., but not tons for, the, for Canadians, so try to keep it as Canadian as possible. Yeah. In 2006, 47% of Canadians said that they believed in ghosts, so maybe it's gone down. Okay. 31% said that they think such things are likely, whereas 16% say that they know such things exist. Well then. One in five Canadians say that they have been in the presence of a ghost. 
12% have had an out-of-body experience. 9% have visited with the ghost of a dead relative. And 9% also have said that they lived in a haunted house. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. The... I wish. See? <laughs> I feel like you have like a demon in your house. You've had some weird things happen. And technology no. and technology freaks out around you all the time. <laughs> That's just technology failing. <laughs> Nothing more than that. <laughs> so the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life from 2009 reported that this is American, reported that the percentage of people who felt that they were in touch with somebody who had died were 29%. Uh, or reported being in the presence of a ghost, which is 18%, have doubled since 1990. Um, Jess touched on this for sure, but the belief in ghosts and haunted houses and shit like that happening can correspond to that boom of those paranormal television shows, which I have to say I have 100% never watched. Are you serious? Oddly enough. Really? Never watched them. Oh my god. (laughs) <laughs> you should just watch a couple just to you know just to see what happens i you know i'm curious but yeah no it's never happened i will watch movies yeah um that but i've never watched those shows which i always find they're so fucking cheesy that might be why <laughs> i wouldn't get creeped out i would think they're incredibly cheesy so i've never actually watched them so there's an unknown amount of ghost hunters and paranormal investigators in Canada, but apparently as of July 2015 in the States, there were over 3,400 teams. There's an actual online directory. As far as I know, there's wow. no online directory in Canada for ghost hunters. <laughs> so paranormal investigation, you know, as we know it today is a process of research, documentation, recording, videotaping, and continuous examination of photographs and all their evidence. Um, They also study temperature changes, electromagnetic field, and they gather all of their information and see if there's actual ghosts to be had, and it can be explained. Uh, The paranormal teams usually combine members who identify as scientific, so they rely on technology and they monitor the environment, and those that are sensitive, so those that rely upon their extrasensory perception, seeing, hearing, and otherwise sensing the energy of spirits which you know that mixture of mediums and scientific methods together is definitely echoes the reminiscent of the early spiritualist uh, movement i did come across this online ad to become a paranormal investigator so how to become one i'll just point out a couple of things that they Send it my way. Um, yeah, I just should. <laughs> so they go through a variety of things, but it's like, so recommended paranormal investigator training. So they want you to understand parapsychology, gain an understanding of current and historic parapsychological research. So read books and research papers and everything, which they actually bring up the Society for Psychical Research. Ooh. Just what Jess was talking about. So it's a legit mm-hmm. thing. You know, they want you to learn legit. to use technology sensors and, you know, use their research equipment. Jess has a whole list and different things that ghost hunters use. Um, but, you know, how to use thermal cameras, video recorders and different cameras, sound recorders for potential EFP. Um, 
you know, I want you to understand the difference between technical and anecdotal data, understand sound principles and investigation, <laughs> got to work with a mentor. <laughs> I love this. Like, I always think this is so cheesy, but I think it's also kind of neat. So they say good investigators need to have the following traits, level-headed, open-minded, critical thinking skills, got to be patient, immediately looks for a reasonable cause for an odd event, excellent troubleshooting and trial and error research skills, confident under pressure and a very calm demeanor and does not scare easily. Yeah. This is legit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is amazing. You know, people still want to, you know, explore ghosts, find out if it's a true thing. I definitely do. I don't know if I'd ever join a ghost hunting group. So I don't know if I care that much about it, but I like hearing about it and learning a bit more about it. It's uh, definitely a really, really interesting field. And so like Kelly was explaining earlier, uh, paranormal investigation, it really did start out as like a spiritual practice, especially during the spiritualist movement, but it's still like that today where I found an article that really argues that ghost hunting is just another form of creating an authentic spiritual experience in a culture where people are moving from religion and curating their own spiritual beliefs and practices. And like I said, for a lot of people, it's just another means of confirming life after death. And that's typically for a lot of more, um, yeah, I guess I don't want to say more structured, like, you know, Christian type folk, but I guess really for everyone. Uh, we were saying many paranormal investigators, um, a lot of them actually are infused with some kind of religious or magical beliefs. They do, and usually these teams are a mix of scientific and sensitive uh, participants, as Kelly has already explained. They use different techniques in their investigation methods, and but they're motivated by the same desire to capture evidence of life after death, to experience something outside of themselves in this world. A lot of the tools that a lot of people who are doing paranormal investigations um, in terms of more spiritual means, they use ritual. Uh, so you'll see, and I've seen these in a lot of different shows, uh, they'll bring in like a medium or some sort of spiritualist who will have some sort of ritual uh, to start the, um, I guess you would not say like in the investigation off to, you know, ward from more evil spirits, as you would say, or ones that would pr prove more harm to the investigators. Then you'll have the team that will bring in the science into the investigation. So using more modern technology um, and mixed with these types of like rituals. And I'm talking in terms of rituals like, you know, casting a spell or saying a prayer and which is another form of um, ritual a lot of times there's use of visualization so particularly in the new age movement a lot of people like to imagine a sphere of protection so a lot of times when it comes to visualization they'll say um, you know imagine that you are emanating a white light from your heart and i know kelly is probably just going to give this look and it's going to create <laughs> this like big bubble <laughs> <laughs> and this turns a, a sphere, and they call it a sphere of protection, oh, um, using things such as protective artifacts, <laughs> so uh, crosses, you know, statues of saints, using angels, uh, various goddesses, various uh, stones and crystals as they're going through a home, uh, you know, in terms of cleansing, using a, a and I'm, I'm, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful because a, I am a witch, and there are elements in this that I use in terms of my daily practice, such as rituals using stones and crystals and sage to cleanse my space. But those are types of tools that are being used by people who are really looking at the investigation side from a very spiritual side. 
so as a spiritual practice, it is the act of investigating that creates within participants a sense of being connected and being aware of a transcendent, perhaps divine reality beyond our world. Some investigators enter into the practice already perceiving it as a spiritual nature, while others who claim to hold no religious or spiritual beliefs nonetheless experience a transformation through their own process of investigation. So keep into Canadian ghost hunting stuff. So Milton, there was a there's a paranormal investigative group in Milton, Ontario, and recently they were looking for a new member. And they're called the Halton Paranormal Group. So if I ever decide I want to, there's one close by to join. <laughs> so again, a couple of things they were looking for was that they were technically inclined because you're going to be using a lot of different equipment, still cameras, voice recorders, whatever a K2 meter is. Had to be fearless because you conduct things at night in an abandoned building. So you can't be afraid. Um, the other one, it had said, belief in ghosts. Not necessary. The group always tries to debunk its findings. Like, okay. And also, Jess, you probably came across this, but your dream could come true. But ghost hunting group in Ottawa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Called Ghosts. (laughs) Which is Ghost Hunters of Ottawa for Scientific Truth. Which, if you look at your website, looks like it's a poster for and promotion for white noise (laughs) which is actually a ghost movie that i quite enjoy they're using a lot of evp and stuff like that scares the crap out of me um and it's cheesy as hell (laughs) so that was fun yeah so they conduct paranormal investigations using research observation and critical thinking along with state-of-the-art equipment that's what they say and their mission statement is that they strive to shed light on the paranormal with a professional approach using proven investigative methods and keeping our integrity at the forefront of all of our investigations. Also, they are free of charge. (laughs) Nice. All right. Well done. Uh, There's an Edmonton-based group as well. It's actually run by a gentleman named Greg Pocha. Pocha? He's a paranormal investigator and the director of paranormal, parascience, and parapsychological studies with the Edelon Project which is the largest and most established paranormal research group in Western Canada. So they do investigations and also cleansing. Their mission statement is very similar to the rest, but they also want to educate uh, instead of just investigate. They want to, they strive to make advancements in afterlife research by exploring paranormal activity and psychical phenomenon as it pertains to ghosts, hauntings, and preternatural occurrences. I feel like that's like an awesome slogan. We're here to educate, not just investigate. And you're like, yeah. nice. <laughs> I totally just coined that. Nobody can use it. <laughs> we need to start our new, our own paranormal thing. <laughs> totally. Except for you'd be staying at home because you'd be too scared. <laughs> You'll be like on the walkie-talkie. You're like, what are you seeing? What's happening? I was like... Dude, it's spooky. <laughs> no, literally, it's nothing. It's cold. <laughs> I want to go home and eat my pizza. Fuck off. <laughs> exactly. There's no such thing as ghost dress. <laughs> but I want to believe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So in terms of when it comes to ghost hunting, a lot of the paranormal investigations are really driven by technology. And so that was really interesting in doing my research. A lot of the technologies in during the spiritualist movement in the 18th century were like a lot of uh, older forms of trying to contact ghosts. And Kelly went to some really great detail about that. And one of the things was that she talked about was automatic handwriting, automatic writing, which is like, you know, the medium opening themselves up to the spiritual world. 
a lot of their research was also based on testimony and observation by two already spiritual forms of ghost hunting to be able to dismiss anything that was not actually real. But when it comes to modern modern ghosting and I'm saying ghosting in quotation marks because we also know about modern ghosting in the dating world as Kelly and I have both experienced <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking ghosters. ghosters but when we say modern ghosting now we're talking about like actual modern ghost hunters like people going out there and looking for ghosts and they actually use quite a list of tools and technologies when it comes to hunting a ghost um, a lot of things are still prominent is using uh, still photography and video so digital cameras, night vision, infrared vision, using disposable cameras, EMF meters. So if you have watched any type of ghost hunting uh, shows, they always talk about using uh, the e getting the EMF meter out to detect possible unexplained fluctuations in electronic magnetic fields. Uh, using PCs like tablets these days to record data, audio, video, and environmental fluctuations. Ambient temperature is measured, so using thermographic cameras, thermal imaging cameras, infrared thermometers, and other infrared temperature sensors to measure surface temperature and non-ambient temperature. So in terms of a lot of like ghost hunters, they'll always describe when they walk into a room that it feels all of a sudden cold, that the temperature has dropped like 20 degrees in this area. So that's evidence that something otherworldly is happening. Definitely not a window being opened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not in, like, you're just in an abandoned building that has no windows, no insulation, no, like, yeah, of course the temperature's going to drop in certain areas, but hey. <laughs> Digital and analog audio recordings so to capture unexplained noises and electronic voice phenomena, so EVPs, that may be interpreted as disembodied voices. And th that the use of this has come under a lot of criticism by people because, people feel that a lot of the investigators are all, are hearing what they want to hear and this is once again what we'll come we'll address in terms of the power of suggestion is that they will listen to this this voices and then you know if you hear it so many times you'll want to hear your voice being said or something like that or you you know you may hear something that you may insert your own idea into it they use compasses to determine the location of paranormal spots, Geiger counters to measure fluctuations of radiation, motion detectors, so detecting, you know, movement in, in a given area, air quality, so they, they measure the levels of carbon monoxide in areas, infrasound, monitoring equipment to assess the level of sound vibrations, dousing rods. Uh, using so it's like usually they're made out of brass and they're bent into the L shape and like you they walk around and obviously I'm showing Kelly how they do it they walk around and like these dousing sticks just kind of move back and forth psychics mediums and clairvoyants are usually invited into these investigations they also sometimes invite demonologists exorcists and members of the clergy who may say may give prayers blessings or perform rituals to in for the purpose of cleansing a location of, of alleged ghosts demon poltergeist or negative energy according to a lot of ghost hunting enthusiast websites lights out many ghost hunters prefer to conduct their investigations during peak evening hours so between midnight and 4 a.m there is also the use of the ghost box, which is an electronic device that some ghost hunters claims allows them to communicate with spirits. Um, and a lot of times, too, a lot of ghost hunting tools are used a lot of interviews, so collecting testimony and accounts from alleged hauntings, using historical research to investigate a site that's being investigated, and of course, always using a Ouija board to be able to communicate with the spirits. 
So these are a lot of tools that a modern ghost hunter uses these days, but it actually also leads to a lot of ghost hunting mistakes. And I'm only bringing this up, like, as, like I said, I'm a believer. I enjoy watching ghost hunting episodes. I want to be able to go and investigate a haunted house myself and experience that feelings. But when I came across this article about ghost hunting mistakes online uh, from Program of the Center of Inquiry, they talked about some of the ideas of what happens. And so there are six common mistakes that ghost hunters come across. A, that you need to have no specialized knowledge when it comes to hunt ghosts. While this is true, you do not need to be an expert in parapsychology or any of that normal but you do need to have some type of experience or sort some type of skills when it comes to investigation using logic, critical thinking, psychology, science, and forensics. Uh, a lot of times too, ghost hunters will have a over-interpretation of the evidence they collect. So the smallest amount of evidence will get blown in proportion. So, oh, all of a sudden it got colder in this one area or, oh, they heard this weird noise, you know, that all of a sudden like that's evidence of ghostly haunting and so they need to you know just believe instead of actually critical thinking about it and be like okay well maybe that's just outside someone drove by and like a a manhole just went up right and it's been a problem for a long time considering subjective feelings and emotions as evidence of paranormal encounters so subjective experiences are described as essentially stories or anecdotes so there's really not so it's more like a personal story and but people use them as proof that there's something of, of anything else happening. So a lot of times too, people experience, you know, walking to a room and they feel cold or they feel goosebumps. And this is where the idea of the power suggestion can be very strong because a ghost hunter can convince themselves that something weird is going on in a dark, creepy house. And it's really just their own feeling that's really enhancing that belief. Using improper and unscientific investigation methods. So using dowsing, using Ouija boards, you know, they like you just using methods of of science to, you know, be able to describe a paranormal investigation. And this can lead to a lot of mistakes happening. Too much focus on the history of the place instead of the events. So a lot of ghost hunters will go in and they'll do extensive research on an, a location and they'll grasp onto an idea or to a concept or to a tragic event that happens, which then like will spiral into a whole other form of research instead of really just focusing on why they're there. Why did they? Why were they invited to investigate this certain area because of what happened? And also conducting a stakeout. Every time ghost hunters conduct a stakeout, it is going to fail. And this, and a, conducting a stakeout is when they are in a haunted location, they spend a considerable amount of time in this area, they kind of go into a lot, they call it a shutdown. So they shut everything out, they try to control the area, oh sorry, a lockdown, they call it a lockdown. They try to completely control the area to be able to have their scientific evidence proven that there is haunting and it, it fails every time. And it's only because you can't control what's going on. Then nothing is going to be able in your control. So those are some interesting ideas of how modern ghost hunting can go wrong. By talking about this, I really wanted to go into, and I was really interested in this idea of the power of suggestion. And this has a lot to do in terms of when it comes to ghost hunting, in terms of believing in the paranormal, and also especially haunted houses. Because is your house really haunted or is it just you want to believe it's haunted? And I know... I'm, I'm the type of person where like if something weird always happens in my house or at someone else's house, my instant response is like, oh, it's haunted. We, we, you, you have a ghost. You're, you know, what's going on? So when we take the word suggestion, it's defined as a psychological process in which people are manipulated by a scene, an image, a word, or a situation. 
and this term was coined by William James in the 19th century to suggest one idea over another. And teachers of hypnosis uh, broadened the term to include the theory that people follow a pattern in instructions based on what they see or hear. Like, so like if someone told you your house is haunted, this and to explain the the unexplained noises that are going on and if you tell that person often enough they will eventually believe that yes my house is haunted because i cannot understand why this noise is happening all the time also people use the power of suggestion in terms of more like you know everyday things so if you think you're more intelligent or if you think you're really sick or if you think you're going to work really hard and you suggest that you're hard or you're going to change your routine um all these things are impacted by the power of suggestion by because that we're you know when you're working harder if you think you're being watched at work you will work harder when you think that you're going to get sick you will get sick and you know and it impacts our daily lives and our decision making and so what was really interesting was an article i read it took the power of suggestion and it combined it to something like fear so if you believe that something is going to happen to you if you watch something on the news about a horrible situation you are instantly impacted by the idea that that's going to happen to you again. So if you used to take a certain route to work all the time, but because an accident happened there, now all of a sudden you have this fear that an accident may happen at that location, you will change your routine and you'll change your route to work. And that's kind of the same idea with a haunted house. If you think that something is going to jump out at you in a haunted house, you're more likely to believe that this is going to happen and you're going to seek the means to avoid it or get rid of that idea. So I know myself, I'm terrified and walking through fucking haunted house attractions because I know somebody's going to jump out at me every fucking time. <laughs> and so that increases that fear. So I want to avoid it. <laughs> oh, um, man. So the power of suggestion is used a lot in terms of the idea of misdirection. So magicians were very well known for using the power of suggestion to be able to make their acts more believable. And by using verbal suggestions, it diverts the audience's attention away from actually paying attention to what they're doing. So it's an illusion, Michael, not a trick uh, to all those Arrested Development fans out there. But when it comes to paranormal investigation, verbal suggestion is pseudo-psychic demos of paranormal are more likely to misreport information. When it comes to paranormal investigations, people are more likely to believe that something is happening <laughs> when they are told that something is going to happen. So, yeah, so normally, so people, okay, so if you're going to sit at a table and you have a psychic who's going to say, these things are going to happen, stuff like that, people are going to believe that an event is going to happen. They walked into it because the atmosphere is made that way. You know, it's spooky. It feels eerie. You know, you're, you're, you have those feelings that something is going to happen. And then when a, um, the, the, the medium expresses that something's going to happen, people are more likely to believe that something's going to happen. And it's more the non-believers who are just like, eh, okay, maybe something's not going to happen. But they have this interesting experiments where when a psychic did not say something was going to happen, and uh, anyway, I'm confusing myself. I totally know what you're trying to say there. I don't know what you have there, but yeah, essentially that... If you go in already believing and expecting that something's going to happen, also kind of wanting to mm -hmm. happen, it's more likely to happen. Whereas somebody like me walking into a seance or one of these haunted houses and they say, yep, this is haunted, be weary that things might happen. I have that expectation that things are going to happen, but it's going to be yeah, now I mix that all up. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, but if they say, if they don't say anything's going to happen and you yeah. walk in there and something happens, you're more likely to not believe that that thing happened. Yes. Do you know what I mean? That's, totally. Yeah. 
And there's even times where you say, people go into, if somebody walks into a building, there's like a group of people, that's an experiment that I was going to bring up, but it's like an experiment of just a routine abandoned building, nobody said it was haunted, nothing, brought people into it, and then asked them questions about there's anything weird happening, did they feel anything, did they sense anything, did anything happen, and the results of any kind of quote-unquote paranormal incidences were very low to none, but if you brought people into that exact same building that has no history of it being haunted, but if you tell people it's haunted, then you interview the people afterwards, they have all kinds of things to say. Yeah, exactly. All these things that they felt, that they sensed, that they saw. It was like, ooh, this cold area. So, yeah, exactly. So there are some paranormal experiences that are actually pretty easily explained. And they can be based on a, on faulty activity in the brain, actually. So reports of poltergeists, invisibly moving objects seem to be consistent with damage to the certain areas of the right hemisphere that are responsible for vis- visual processing. Certain forms of epilepsy, meanwhile, can cause that spooky feeling of a presence stalking you close by. And, you know, perhaps that is the cause of the underlying accounts of the faceless, quote-unquote, shadow people lurking in our surroundings. Something that is kind of similar to what Jess was saying, but it has a word, it's called anthropomorphism, is another way to explain normal events. Uh, Says Adam White from Northwestern University in Illinois. So we might think that a spirit is behind a storm or it's a demon that's causing us to get ill, and we'd rather think that than acknowledging that we have no control at all over you know, our lives and things that happen. You know, if a branch is tapping at our window, we might be more inclined to imagine that it's a ghost sending us a message. Uh, And he says, we create beliefs in ghosts because we don't like believing that the universe is random. And this seems to be more common when we feel like we have less control over our lives. So when you're a bit more in a vulnerable state. There is a gentleman that I read about. His name is Richard Wiseman. He wrote a book called Paranormality. It's a book on the science or lack thereof of haunting, psychics, telepathy, and other inexplicable, you know, phenomenon. He's also a professor uh, in the UK. He's a fellow of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and a Skeptical Inquirer Consulting Editor. That is a magazine. I looked that up. So in an interview, somebody had asked him, so like, what to you is the most interesting or strange paranormal belief? And he said, I suppose ghosts or the notion that people see something out of the corner of their eye, particularly if they're in a haunted location. It's the power of suggestion as well as fear. When we become afraid, blood flows through our fingertips from the major muscles of our body as you get ready for fight or flight, right? And that can make you feel cold. You also become hypervigilant, so you start noticing little footsteps or voices you wouldn't have noticed before, and then you start assuming that this is some sort of paranormal activity. So he has done some research and noticed a pattern with all this is all coming down to the power of suggestion. And this is exactly what we're talking about. People who believed in ghosts experienced significantly more strange sensation than those who were skeptical. So Jess would be more apt to experience strange things than I would going into a scenario where there's potential hauntings of ghosts. They experience more ghosts than those who don't believe. There is a neuropsychologist named Michael Persinger. He's actually Canadian at the Laurentian University. 
He believes that ghostly experiences are caused by the brain malfunctioning, and more controversially, that these sensations can be easily elicited by applying very weak magnetic fields to the outside of the skull. So he designed a study. I love science and these studies and research that these people did. So in a typical study of his, participants were led into a laboratory and asked to sit in a comfortable chair. They had a certain helmet placed onto their heads, are blindfolded, and are asked to relax for about 40 minutes. So during that 40 minutes, several different electromagnetic things hidden in the helmet. So they generate very, very weak magnetic fields around the participant. So sometimes those fields are focused over to the right side of the head and the other times to the left, and sometimes they circled around the head. So after the 40 minutes, they took off the blindfold, they took off the helmet, and then the participant was asked to complete a questionnaire indicating whether or not they experienced strange sensations, such as the sense of a presence, images, smells, being sexually aroused, or maybe even coming face to face with God. So after years of experimentation, he claimed that around 80% of participants clicked the yes box to at least one of those experiences, with some even going for the all of the above. So that was all well and good until Swedish folks at a university decided to carry out the same type of experiment. So this Swedish, these Swedish psychologists, uh, they were worried that perhaps the, that the participants and those previous persengers experiments had actually known what was maybe expected of them. So it wasn't a true like double blind, you know, very controlled study. And that perhaps their experiences could actually be due to suggestion rather than those very weak magnetic fields that they produced. So to rule all that out, they did their own kind of experiment using the same helmet, but only ensured that the magnetic coils were turned on for only half of the people. And the the experimenters or the participants did not know when they were going to be on or off. So apparently the results were pretty remarkable. So these Swedish researchers discovered that the magnetic fields actually had no effect whatsoever. Three participants reported intense spiritual experiences, but two of those people were not at all exposed to the magnetic fields. Then 22 people reported more subtle experiences, but the coils were turned off for 11 of them. So what is up with that, people? (laughs) So that is really interesting. Then there's this other guy, just another small little bit. So he did a bunch of experiments and researches. His name is James Perron. So he's a statistician by day and then does like ghost hunting at night, conducting surveys and studies to solve the mystery of hauntings. Um, So the ultimate testing of, you know, those theories involves taking suggestible people to a place that does not have a reputation for being haunted, making them believe that it does and see if they experience the same kind of ghostly activity reported in a quote unquote genuine haunting. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like you bring people that are already believers and tell them a place is haunted, you're going to get reports of haunting stuff happening, experiences happening. So people that are highly suggestible or believers or those really, really wanting to believe will sometimes experience the paranormal events. You know, I mentioned before, they're hypervigilant, they become very aware, they become more and more and more scared. They hear a sound, whoop, now I'm frightened, a little bit more than I was when I came in. It heightens all of our senses, 
until we're incredibly scared, agitated, we probably could hallucinate, and little things that would mean nothing to anybody else in the area mean so much to them and they really believe that there is some kind of ghostly thing happening. This is going to bring us into talking about the very first movie, The Legend of Hell House. vampirism, cannibalism, drug addiction, alcoholism, sadism, mutilation. How did it end? If it had ended, we would not be here. tried to kill me it almost succeeded i don't accept this i do not accept this this movie a long time ago so long ago I don't remember when and then I had it for a long time and never watched it and then years ago I ended up watching it what a boring fucking story anyways I ended up watching it I didn't really care about it I watched it with some friends and I actually got rid of it so that's how much I didn't really care for it and then when I watched it again I also didn't really care for it I don't like the total opposite story. I'm just like, I remember a couple of years ago, my friend Dave Cardi and I, we were getting into like, hey, let's get together and watch like horror movies because we both like horror movies. And I had, for some reason, I think I had American Netflix for a very brief time. And I saw this online. I was like, oh, Haunted House movie. Yeah, let's watch it. And so we watched it and we were like pitch black in my apartment here in Ottawa. And I enjoyed it. I was like, this is right up my alley. I love and like I was I was kind of creeped out. And I'll remember, I'll never forget like at the time my my husband at the time returned home and scared the crap out of both of us because he like opened the door and it was like just after the movie had finished. It was so intense. So uh, yeah, and then I and then of course I ever since then I had been always been on the lookout to like own this movie. And yeah, I own it because it's like in my you know my 1960s 1970s like collection of horror films that I enjoy. So. 
Is there anything you like about this film at all? Um, two things. <clears throat> okay. I really love the set design. That yeah, cast yeah. was beautiful. So, so yeah. beautiful. You know, it's so ornate. And I love the furniture. I just love that, like, Victor- like late, like Victorian style, um, like, besides architecture, but all of the... Yeah, like, like, the costume design I loved. I loved... Like, every single room was so lushly decorated, and it was a very beautiful movie to watch. Um, the other thing was Roddy McDowell. I love, love Roddy McDowell overall of Planet of the Apes fame, which is my favorite sci-fi series of all time. Uh, Roddy McDowell was fantastic in this movie, so he really made the movie for me. I really, really enjoyed his uh, his acting. Yeah. And I'm the same. I enjoy the, I love the scenery of the house. It really adds to the atmosphere of a house being haunted and makes you really believe that like, you know, horrible things would have happened to this house to create that energy that makes it that residual energy that stays. Um, I also like some of the um, ghostly manifestations that happened in the way to show how the, the place is haunted that kind of make it really, you know, like really creeps me out and really added to the atmosphere of a creepy movie. Um, but what were you saying? Did you so what did you dislike about the movie other than it being really boring? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I thought I know we're gonna talk. We can talk a little bit about the book too. But sadly, I didn't finish the book. I'm about almost three quarters of the way through. But I thought the pacing was actually too quick in Legend of Hell House, which is actually the opposite of how I normally feel about haunted house movies. Is that sometimes they're really really slow very slow whereas I found this was like jumped into it really really quickly and I was like I don't even know who these people are what's even happening you know I thought so I thought the pacing was off I didn't find it scary at all and every time there was a shot of either them briefly outside or the outside of the the castle I thought it was a Lucio Fulci movie and I got really pumped and I was like oh no I'm really disappointed now because it's not one of his movies which I very much would enjoy more yeah, so yeah. I thought it was really boring. Thought it was not it was not thrilling at all. I so far like the book a lot more because mm, it goes yeah. yeah it goes way more into the characters, way more details into the depravity of Belasco himself, which I found fascinating. And I really wish we would have heard more about that. Like, why do I care about this castle? Yeah, because in the movie I don't. Yeah, I just I really don't. And it was just a very fine movie to me. Yeah, and that's fine. <laughs> and that's like I feel too. Like I watched the movie and then I read the book after and I really enjoyed the book more like I still enjoy the movie it's still in my collection but I really enjoyed the book more because like you said the characterization of the four protagonists is great in the book where it's very lacking in the movie so in the book you get to see more about the characters and why they're there and what motivates them and how could they come under the, the, the spell, I guess you would say, the spell or the influence of the negative energy that is Belasco and how he, you know, is able to impact our, our, um, our protagonists throughout the film. So that's why I dislike it, because when you watch the movie, you're like, oh, it just is. But then when you learn more about the characters, you're like, oh, this makes more sense as to why this house would have such an impact on them. Totally, totally. So then I just found the movie very lacking comparatively. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right. All right. Yeah. We talked a bit about the book, and if anybody's read the book, let us know. So let us know what you think about mm-hmm. it. I will finish it eventually, but so far, I'm I'm intrigued to see how it ends and see if it 
how it compares to the endings. I thought the ending was very just fucking anticlimactic to uh, haunted house movies. So my the thing that I found the most fascinating, just speaking about this movie overall, is the relationship between Florence Tanner, who's the medium, and Lionel Barrett, who is the scientist, the science guy that brings everybody to the Belasco house. So she is the medium. Florence is, she's religious. She has a belief in a monotheistic religion. So she's, I don't know, she doesn't, she never actually says, but she feels like she's doing God's work. Mm -hmm. This is a gift from God, which is reminiscent of the age of spiritualism from the 1800s, right? Like she is a very religious person, feels like she's doing some good. And then you have Barrett, who is this example of that hardened scientist who wants true scientific proof of the hauntings. And he's so confident in that movie that his wonderful machine is going to just take care of everything for good. You know, pat on the back. See you later. I don't like how he has so much of an ego about it. I can definitely enjoy and appreciate his scientific mind and what he wants to do. But he also has a complete disregard for Tanner, I think. And he's kind of rude to her. And again, it comes back to it being really reminiscent of how mediums were treated in the early movements of spiritualism. She even says, I am a human being. Yes. Yeah. You know, and she's very involved emotionally and passionately about her work. And... And they often tend to feel how the spirits feel. So if there are spirits, you know what I mean? But either way, she feels as if it's true and happening and real. And nobody's listening to her. And well, he's definitely not. And he's just not um, regarding her feelings necessarily. He doesn't have a lot of sympathy when she gets wounded many times in the movie. And he's really just not the greatest guy to her in it. So I just found that kind of relationship to be my favorite and most interesting aspect of that movie the two different sides the dichotomy between them and I thought they were great representations of you know the early spiritualist movement and that you know the spiritualist versus the you know the scientific well it's really interesting that you bring that up because I remember watching the film and finding it fascinating how he gets mad at her when that scene when she tells him like she's getting angry with him and all of the kind and like all of a sudden he's like being attacked like you know he gets thrown around he almost gets burned to death and he gets so angry at her and he's he accuses and she's like no no it's the spirit that's doing this to you like you're you are angering the spirits of this place and he's like no it is your energy that is doing this to me so as he's like scientifically trying to dis dismiss the idea that ghosts exist he believes that the idea that human energy can be powerful enough to make things happen so i'm like well you're kind of contradicting yourself because you believe that she's making all this happen to you because she's angry at you and she's like no no it's the spirit that's using me as a vessel to do these things but yet even though those things don't physically like she doesn't physically strangle him or hurt him in any way she's just there and all these things are happening and you're like, how do you explain that? Like, how do you, and he says like, oh, well, the energy, the energy does that. Her energy is heightened enough to do this. So yeah, like Kelly said, this movie is definitely uh, representative of the spiritualist movement of the 19th century and how we shape how we see ghosts and haunted houses in the modern day. And there has been very little changes in this perception. So like a film like Hill House 
has been credited for updating the Victorian ghost tale, um, investigating a phenomenon as deemed spiritual, supernatural, but can be reconciled by scientific explanation, explanation, and that haunted houses depend on the blurring of the scientific and the occult and the production of a sense of technolog technological uncanniness. Um, the Victorian era was definitely a mix of rationalism and scientific reasoning, um, as well as they had this obsession with the supernatural and the occult. And if you read a lot of old Victorian Gothic tales, um, and I talked about this in one of my blog posts, the various different um, haunted house literature had, was very influenced by the Victorian era of trying to use science to explain this obsession with the, with the occult in life after death. And I find that this, and as Kelly has already expressed it, this film is very representative of that, but it's kind of, it kind of updates it with a more modern take. So using a giant machine to, you know, use electric magnetic energy to disperse a house of negative energy instead of, you know, using uh, Tanner and Fisher to go around and use their spiritualist skills to be able to remove the energy. Like typically science is only used to, okay, yeah, so this is interesting. So science is typically only ever used to prove that ghosts exist, but they typically use mediums, clairvoyance, or spiritual means to dismiss a ghost from a house. So when you watch a lot of haunted house films, you're going to have a type of like a, an exorcism of some type, or they're going to use the medium to be like, okay, you need to leave now. I'm going to guide you to the other side. Whereas in the legend of hell house, they are using, they use a machine to clear the energy out. But when we see at the end of the film, when Fisher decides to embrace, to once again, connect with the house in the spiritual way that, that damaged him the first time he uses kind of his own spiritual energy to fight Belasco. This house is clean. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, the only thing I want to say is that the cat part was terrible. Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Yes, yeah, so upsetting. Like, like It was upsetting, uh, but also some parts were just so badly done. I was like, oh, I'm just, this is so yeah, cheesy. It, yeah. So cheesy. It is so fake. <laughs> it is so cheesy. We all, you know, also... In the book, they they bring the cat to help with their investigations, but in the yes. movie, the cat's just there. Okay. Yeah. Well, it is a really wonderful point that you made, and I never even thought about it with regards to we use science to investigate and try to prove, but in the end, we don't use science to remove said spirits if we do, in the end, reduce our investigation and our findings to the fact that there are perhaps spirits here or whatever and we don't have a way to remove it and we use spiritual methods to get rid of it. I guess if we have proof that there are spirits it would make sense to use somebody who is spiritual to get rid of it over science because it's defied science. Neat point. And yeah and we and like you said we saw that at the end of the film where Fisher's running around being like, the house is clean, and they're yeah. like, and the embarrassed, so like, yes, I'm so smart, my technology worked, but then we end up finding out that the chapel is like leaded, like the room yeah. is all like lead and stuff like that, so really, it may have like cleaned this one area of the house, but it was like all of it was concentrated around Belasco, and he had used yeah. his like energetic feel to, you know, so like, you, you know, you find that interesting, like, how did he figure that out? So, True. what's really interesting is um, at, well, we also did a Twitter post to find out about people's paranormal, about 
if people were skeptics or believers, we also reached out to people on Twitter and Facebook to find out what were some of your paranormal stories or your experiences, because like, you know, people have had these experiences. Like I know myself, I have definitely had an experience where I was alone and I definitely had the sense of I'm not of not being alone and um, like a door kind of opening and closing on its own and it was really creepy and I know like you know in my mind I'm like oh the wind or something like that but there was no wind there it, it was very a very creepy moment and it happened not long after me dabbling with a Ouija board which I'll never touch again um, <laughs> Ever. Just wait till uh, you visit me next. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go to James White's seances. <laughs> See, I will definitely go to a seance, but like, I just won't do anything like that ever in my space again, because I definitely had to, I definitely had some really weird experiences, like, um, like one night waking up in the middle of the night and like seeing like kind of like a dark figure at the end of my bed, and it was really creepy. So anyway, that was my experience. But we definitely reached out to some people, and we had some people reach out back to us and tell us their stories and who have given us permission to to, uh, to say their stories here on our podcast. So Emily uh, VS at Horrorella Blog, uh, a really great supporter of one of ours, she wrote that, hey ladies, when I was in college, I was subletting an apartment for the summer. I went to bed one night and before I fell asleep, I began hearing noises from the living area. My boyfriend worked as a bartender at this bar a few blocks away, so I figured he had just come home after his shift. I hear the sound of someone moving around the living room, walking around, putting stuff down on the counter, and then I hear the sound of my bedroom door opening and dragging across the carpet as it swung. I looked up to say hello, and nobody was there. The door wasn't even open. At this point, I was thoroughly freaked out, so I did the only sensible thing, which was hide under my blankets so whatever it was couldn't see me, and I eventually would fell asleep, which I completely understand. You're totally safe under your blankets. You're safe under your blankets. You're safe with your teddy bear. You're good. Like, nothing's going to fuck with you. You know, don't... (laughs) Unless you're in a Japanese horror movie and just, just kill yourself. You're not safe anywhere. You're never safe. Uh, Daniel Ryan, she gave us a couple of um, interesting stories where her mom and grandma lived in a house in Hawaii across from Pearl Harbor, which is really interesting because obviously no huge traumatic event happened there. They would hear someone stomping up and down the stairs when no one was home. My mom woke up and saw a figure at the end of her bed. The house still had holes in the wall from shrapnel. So that's really interesting. And as far as her own experiences, there was an abandoned building where they used to use they used to use for photography. And because the guy who had last owned it was schizophrenic, he painted giant murals all over the walls. He also ended up killing himself and his wife, and the place was then condemned. There was a room where cameras simply would just not work. No cell phone signal either would ever work. And despite being in the middle of the summer with massive open windows, it was always freezing. And this was particularly in the room where his masterpiece was displayed, which was a two-story mural of the entire town underwater. Gross. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to tell everyone my only paranormal, maybe paranormal or not, experience with James White. Uh, and, and the seance. So it was in the one of the most haunted buildings at Black Creek Pioneer Village. It was used to be as a hotel, used as a hotel in the Victorian era. And there was a woman that that had been seen there multiple times. 
um, like sitting in one of the parlor areas and even people to this day have weird events and you know situations happen to them so like we're ripe for something to happen I'm hoping so I won free tickets so I was really pumped about this and I went with Allie who is my Cinetonic co-host also Valeska was there from Anatomy of a Scream and Grim Magazine and she loves paranormal stuff so we were like pumped we're like all right let's see some ghosts And the house is pretty much dark with candles lit everywhere. Very, very dim. I really thought it was going to be really cheesy. I thought James would be really cheesy like those ghost hunting shows. But he actually was really quite down to earth and practical and realistic about things. So we went to different aspects of the house, um, talking about different, you know, experiences that people had had. We went to the basement and it's all really dark and, you know... We are at one section of the basement and in the really dark aspect of this basement, either a chair moved, but there were sounds, some sounds happened. And we're like, ooh, and then there was some person that ran over there to see what happened and I would not go. (laughs) So like, as much as I was skeptical, I'm like, I'm good. I heard it. Who knows? I don't need to investigate in the pitch black. I'm good. Um, But mainly, the main thing that happened that's worth noting is... They're, they split the group up. So one group was using the Ouija board, contacting maybe the children that died in that basement, which, of course, oh, are those children. If I, I see a child's children. ghost, I'm out. I am Black out. Black-eyed children. As much as I children. want to see a ghost, I do not want to see Black a children's Black-eyed ghost. children. <laughs> <laughs> and the Ouija board was moving. Didn't seem like there was anything causing it to move. But, you know, I wasn't the one touching it, so it could have been the people using it. But then he, uh, James mentioned, he's like, why don't you, like, a bunch of you go upstairs and see if anything else is happening in the building while, the, you know, these folks are playing with the Ouija board. So it was Allie and I, and I was like, oh, if you're going, I'm going. And then a girl, Melanie, she might even listen to this podcast, she has had paranormal experiences her entire life. And I was like, oh, great, she's coming? That means something's going to happen, for sure. <laughs> Weird shit follows her everywhere. So we go upstairs, and it's like, again, dimly lit, and, we've, and we're looking around in all the rooms, and they're very bare. There's not a lot of places where, like, things could be hidden. Because it's an mm-hmm. old Victorian house. They didn't have a lot of stuff, and they've emptied it out to be really basic. Um, and so we're looking around the rooms... And then we hear, like, a music box playing. Whoa. And I could have just died. And then we're running to figure out where it's coming from, and we cannot find the source of the music. Oh, man. At all. Also, throughout the building, there's thing called spirit bells. Mm-hmm. And that definitely, you know, rang a number of times during uh you know the group talks about different we did some automatic writing that was less interesting um but the spirit bells would ring we're like oh yeah there's nothing in that room and again they're like old buildings no windows are open he showed us through the whole house let us know there's nobody hiding in there anywhere like it's really basic spirit bells going off for unknown reasons we could not find the source of the goddamn music we looked in every room and i was of course horrified but also curious. I'm like, I need to know where this is coming from. I need to know what this is. Never was explained. Then eventually some people came up and like, oh, we were talking about music with the maybe children that we were talking to. Oh, I was like, fuck. great. Oh, fuck. Yep. <laughs> yep. So that's good. And then it came down to the seance part. So in a very dimly lit room, a spirit bell in the middle of the table, he's trying to 
you know, reach out to any spirits that are in that room. And of course my eyes are shut. I was like, I am creeped out, but I'm like, I want to see a ghost, but I don't want to see a ghost. Well, like I was scared, but like so exhilarated. <laughs> and of course behind us, behind Allie and I is when shit starts happening. Shit's falling off the walls, doors opening, chairs moving. That's what it sounds like anyways. But when once the seance was over, we looked over and shit had moved for reasons. I don't know. Not explained. <laughs> but the best part about this was when we were doing the seance, because we're all holding each other's hands in a big circle around a table. Based, there's like a candle on the table, a piece of paper, and one spirit bell. It fucking started ringing and I peered at that thing so hard, and I and I was like, yep, that's ringing on its own. Because it's like a little bell attached to this very delicate piece. So, but it's also heavy. So it, had, it would have to take more than a light breeze to actually make it move. But it was moving without seeing any reason how or why. Um, and then things got kind of wacky with like a lot of stuff happening around us. James is like, I don't think this is safe anymore. So he shut it down. But that was my only paranormal experience. Has anything happened since? No. <laughs> Will anything happen again? Probably not. But I still carry that little piece of, I think it's black onyx in my jacket. Because he said to carry this around just in case, you know, you don't want anything yeah, following don't you want home. It, don't want anything to be attached to you. No. Allie lost hers like within oh, seconds. <laughs> I was like, Allie, was your son? She's like, I don't know, I fucking lost it somewhere. I'm like, you just got it. I'm like, I don't know. I'm good like, good luck, luck to you. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, boy. So it was amazing. And I definitely recommend going to any James White scenario. Definitely his seance is very, very cool. And now we're going to get into the innkeepers. Do you know the story of Madeline O'Malley? She was the woman that died here in the hotel. She hung herself after her fiance stood her up on their wedding day. And ever since then, people have reported seeing the ghost of Madeline O'Malley roaming the hallways waiting for her lover. Some say she's even looking to take up a new one. This is our last weekend open, so we've got to find some proof that Madeline O'Malley really exists before this place closes down. I have my microphone so we can make do with EVP investigations. Yes, I like a room for the night. Since the hotel is practically empty, we might have a good chance of making some real contact. What was that? Did you hear that? Hang on. you want to communicate with the spirits in this hotel, I can help you do that. What do they want? To live. You mustn't go down into the basement. Under a blanket of blue Just you and us beneath the stars Under a blanket of blue, 
So I found out about this movie because I watched Ty West's first movie, House the Devil, which is so wonderful and I recommend it so much and I, lo I loved it so I wanted to see more work of his. Uh, so I watched The Innkeepers. I've also watched The Sacrament, which is his Jonestown-inspired Jonestown found footage movie, which I also really, really enjoy. Overall, I really love Ty West as a director. <clears throat> um, yeah, so that's how I found out about it. Uh, I found out about it, I think it's for you. You had mentioned watching The Innkeepers to me, and I watched it um, about two years ago when I was first really getting into the horror scene, and I definitely really enjoyed it and made sure to keep up, try to look for it. And I still have yet to watch The House of the Devil. I have it listed on my on an, on a list to watch but yeah that's really nothing really exciting i i just yeah. was told to watch it i watched <laughs> it loved it yeah well i you know after a while i become i think i get become a good person to recommend things to to just because i just kind of know what what she'd be into and as soon as you know she started getting more into horror i knew the innkeepers would be something she'd be really really into yeah for sure so so what do you like about it it's uh it's just very low key, like I, and that's what I kind of like about it. It just doesn't. It makes you believe that something could happen in just like a haunted house scenario thing. I think Claire is adorable. <laughs> she is just adorable when you watch her and her reaction to things um, throughout the entire film. So there isn't really much I don't like about this film. I really enjoy it, but I really feel like it just really sets up that, like you're not. Like, when you watch haunted house films, you're going in being like, this is a haunted house film. Like, I'm going to get scared. But I feel like this is more just like, okay, these are just amateur investigators who have a story about this motel that they work in and they want to, like, you know, figure it out before it gets, like, torn down or when they when they can't work there anymore. And they have some good scenes that, you know, that did creep me out. Like, the scene in the bed. The scene in the bed where she's laying in bed and then the, the ghost of Madeline O'Malley is there. <laughs> yeah, you touched on a, a, a part that I really love about the movie is that it's much more subtle. It's not like this big, dramatic, haunted house with, you know what I mean? It's just every the scares are subtle, generally speaking. There's like good pacing yeah. to it. I pretty much love everything about this movie. I think the entire movie is charming. I think Claire is so charming. I think the hotel is charming. I love the combination of comedy and horror together, which I think makes horror a bit more horrific in my mind. As wonderful pacing. I think it has a very intense and surprising ending. And yeah, the, Claire is yeah. wonderful. I also really adore her. It's just really just a wonderful little movie. The little I dislike about this film, so I don't really like, I don't dislike it. There you go. <laughs> right. I also have nothing that I dislike about it. I adore it so, so much. So going more into Claire, well, Claire and then the movie overall. Yeah, go ahead, Jess. Yeah. She was just an interesting character. She's definitely an interesting character, and I'm going to touch on like two areas about her, but what I want to discuss first is how she is the perfect example of suggestibility. And so, and we look at our belief into the effects of something all depends on the power of suggestion. So the impact of suggestion on our lives is down to the response of expe expectancies and our anticipation of how we're going to respond to various situations and how we anticipate a specific outcome and which is really interesting is because Claire goes into it believing there's a ghost and she believes that something's going to happen and you equate her her belief 
to that of a shy person who feels that they'll become less shy when they have more alcohol. And so that is a belief in our in our behavior. So when she believes that there's a ghost, she's more willing to experience the the feelings that come when you believe that there's a ghost that kind of that nervousness that fear investigating into it like she's just like this perfect example of how the power of suggestion and also the power of suggestion and contagion um, impacts when it comes to investigating alleged huntings and she's definitely an amateur investigator in the sense of her ideas and her beliefs um, I just wanted to bring up uh, the terms of the idea of the conta of contagion when it comes to uh, paranormal experiences. There was a study done by um, a group on people's experiences at Hampton Court Palace and Southbridge Vaults, where known as these really haunted places in England. And it studied showed how people are impacted by normal changes in their environment, and it's not really representative of ghostly activity. And that more witnesses, more people who know about an area being haunted are more likely to attach significance, special significance to an area and have increased anxiety while entering into it and are more susceptible to believe that it's haunted. And when you get a group of people together, the more people um, experience ghostly activities is more is gonna how it's gonna impact other people around them so and I bring this up in terms of Claire like she throughout the film she has like various little experiences that heightens her belief that there is something happening something ghostly happening and it impacts the people around her especially like Luke and the the medium more of the idea of Luke right because we we do know that Luke doesn't really believe the only reason why he believes is because she believes because he's interested in her and he's kind of like using the typical like hey I'm gonna be some really into something she really likes so that she will be really into me and he builds the whole haunted website and he makes things up to make her feel like she's what she believes is actually really happening and this have something special between them but when she starts really believing and things start happening you know we start seeing things happening in the film he gets really freaked out and be like no no no, i did not sign up for this this is too much and then you wonder like this is more just like this idea of suggestion kind of playing in and how it's impacting the people around her totally yes claire she's just she has such great physical comedy she's always so exasperated I love that so much about her i adore watching her work so much i do like her relationship with Luke, you know, that that scene where he's like, oh my god, look at this footage that somebody took, and like puts the headphones on her, but ends up being one of those like viral videos that like oh, jumps, fucking. makes you jump at the end, which I read. I hate those things. Was, she did not realize that was going to happen, so that was all real response. Oh, that's I good. remember those. I used to watch them and send them to people. I hated those so yeah. much. <laughs> <laughs> they were great. Yeah, I totally agree with Jess was saying that she is so the exact perfect example of what the power of suggestion can do, which shows, you know, the first quote unquote scary scene, but our false scare. So she's alone at the front desk. She hears a noise and of course goes to investigate and she's a, a, already spooked, mm -hmm. already spooked because she thinks that this place is haunted. So she's assuming that there's going to be something spooky and that there's ghosts. So, you know, hearing about the tales of uh, of Mary, uh, talking with Luke, and hearing all about his quote-unquote proof, where it gets worked up really easily. Um, and then she goes to investigate, and then get, there's a jump scare by Luke, which I think is also really adorable and funny, but it's, you know, a nice false scare. But she's, like, so worked up already. Yeah. 
You know, if she wasn't scared going to investigate, it wouldn't have been as startling. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I also love, and he's like, oh, Claire, my dear, I'm not trying to scare you type thing. But there was no way not to scare her. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love it. And like she has Uh, the asthma attacks, right? Which impacts her fear even more. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Claire. So, yeah, she's incredibly willing and really, really wants to believe. And we see that Luke is, like, actually, yeah, very nonchalant about it. And turns out he doesn't really believe in it, like Jess was saying. I didn't catch, I didn't really pick up on what you were saying with regards to him faking it because she's into it. I didn't pick up on that. I'm sure that that's a thing that was happening with him because you're right. It turns out that... You know, he never had these terrible experiences, these spooky experiences. And when it came down to, like, brass knuckles, this shit is happening, he was horrified. Way more horrified than she was. She was, she wanted to get more into it. She's like, this is happening, you know. And, you know, life is more exciting when there's maybe ghoulish things, you know, going on. She desperately does want to believe that things are happening. Um, she has this conversation with the actress, and again, I forget her name, her character in the movie, but like her life just seems incredibly boring. Goes to the same coffee shop all the time, is working at this place, has no plans in life. Like she's actually quite downtrodden as a person. So, with the idea of, yes, these hauntings are actually real, you know, that, you know, ups the ante in life a little bit, and life gets really exciting. Which is really interesting that you bring that point up, because I also had read an article about the innkeepers, and there was a suggestion that Claire herself is actually suffering from depression. And it's actually the idea of a millennial depression that people go through, you know, in their early 20s, where they feel like, they're either underemployed, you know, they're overeducated, underemployed, or they're soon to be unemployed, which is in Claire's uh, case. She's working in a motel and it's going to be closed down, so she's going to be without a job. She doesn't know what to do with her life after. And like we said, when she talks to the actress and they ask me, like, you want to be a performer? She's like, no, I'm just a huge fan of you. And she's like, what do you want to do? She's like, I don't know. And then makes her feel like a total asshole about it. And because she's so bored with her life, and we also see, like, you know, Luke is also a very, you know, he's, ha- you know, it's kind of, we see him kind of like almost suffering from a depression as well, because he's very withdrawn and sullen, and he gives little fucks about anything other than Claire, and he's actually attached an emotional attachment to her as well. But we see with Claire, she has this very overt peppiness that you can see that she's kind of like masking her sadness or masking her depression. And she latches on to this idea of the hotel being haunted to give her something exciting about her life because she's bored. And when you're bored, you're more likely to get depressed. And when you're depressed, you're more likely to get bored. It's like this vicious cycle. So she's like, oh, wait. This place is haunted? Okay, now I have something to live for, in a way. I have something to do. I, you know, I can be an amateur investigator and find out, is this really real? And we have a website now, and we'll get evidence, and this will be great. Like, this may start, like, a whole new thing for her. So she latches onto this belief that brings her into, you know, into out of her boring life and makes her, like, an amateur investigator. But then also at the same time, too, we've also known that sometimes depression itself can bring in a lot of intrusive thoughts as well as create delusions in the mind Um, because she's lonely. She's bored. So that makes her a believer that something in this world is there's more to this world that meets the eye and makes her life more interesting. And we kind of see like the ending itself of this film happens really quickly and it's you know, really intense and it really makes you think about like, well, is she, did she actually really see ghosts or was she just in a sense of complete power, like 
complete suggestion that she scared herself so much that when she fell and hit her head and ended up like you know having a panic attack and locking herself in a room that she just you know that it was never really a ghost that attacked her it was just herself just being a, a victim of circumstance in a way and creating this own belief and maybe her you know talking about people that are more suggestible um yeah and being vulnerable so if she is in fact actually a quite downtrodden depressed person makes her much more vulnerable to um these belief systems exactly. and these things actually happening to her you're right that's definitely a bit of an interesting intense ending with you thinking did that actually happen the way that we're seeing it as like the voyeur of the movie or or not which is a really interesting aspect of the innkeepers overall there is some things that are left up to interpretation well because you're especially because like at the end luke is like i was trying to i was calling her name i was pounding the door and she was calling for me but i couldn't save her and you're like oh fuck man that so we're like she was just so scared and so in her mind that the person who was chasing after her was really Luke to try and help her, right? Yeah, maybe. Oh, it's also it's also a very sad movie. Yeah. <laughs> what do you so think of subtly, it that way? <laughs> so subtly spooky and comedic and adorable and sad and spooky. There are moments that spooked me for sure. Yeah, for sure yeah. when I first watched it. So, you know, modern day ghost hunting has this incredible history. Like the whole spiritualist movement is really, really quite interesting. And I think really one worth investigating, even as a skeptic like I am. And it also seems to have been, and I, you know, researching it, found this out, but a very empowering movement for women and definitely one that I'm interested in looking in, into further because it uh, was surprisingly quite empowering for them, especially in such a important time, you know, the mid to late 1800s, early 1900s. You know, the power of suggestion is very, very strong. All those, you know, all the experiments that we talked about, it even happens with me sometimes. Like walking into that, you know, Black Creek Pioneer Village with knowing it's like there's been, I think it was 40 something um, experiences of hauntings and, and and scenarios that people have found out, which is really, really high, apparently. 40 plus is really high. Um, so I went in there expecting that, like, I'm going to see some stuff, you know, and I can't explain what happened. It didn't seem like it was rigged, you know, and I tried. I looked at these things, but, you know, I can't explain it. I love the fact that I can't explain it. Do I, am I still a skeptic? A hundred percent. Did I love it? Yes. I would do it again in a heartbeat. James, come back. Um, and I recommend everybody, you know, experiencing that kind of, at least, I, you know, his experience, because it was really practical. Because, like, when things were going awry, he's like, wait. He's like, did, like, is everybody phone off? Like, are you sure it's not your phone ringing? Like, we, he really made sure that all practical, logical explanations for the things that were happening were you know, discussed and ruled out before he went to, yep, that's a ghost. Woo, we're seeing ghosts. You know what I mean? Which was, I really appreciated from him. Um, We talked a bit about, you know, with Claire and wanting to believe that, you know, life does feel a bit more magical with that, you know, that intrigue and that mystery of, of ghosts and demons and, you know, life after death and, you know, it's, it's really a fascinating thing. And, you know, but what if it's true? 
Because if it's true, that's incredibly fucking life changing, not for not only for me, but I think for many, many people that would change my entire viewpoint and belief system. So I'm curious and like the infamous line from the X-Files, I want to believe. I do want to believe so desperately. In terms of uh, the way I feel, I believe. I'll always believe. I'm a believer. I've had some really weird experiences in my life that just I could not explain. And maybe I could if I really emphasize them, but I am the type of person where I walk into a room and I feel if like the energy of something is off, I will identify it. I get really creeped out when something just doesn't feel right, but that's also kind of the element of where my own belief my own spiritual beliefs come from in terms of being that of a witch kind of being more in tune with my energies but when it comes to ghosts and it comes to haunted houses and when it comes to the paranormal i am a believer 100 percent. there are just things in this world that you just cannot always explain away with science and i feel like sometimes science comes from also very magical and also a very mystical realm of things and so for me, when I watch things or read things about hauntings and ghosts and stuff like that, I get right into it. I will watch the Ghost Hunters adventures and stuff like that. I do it all the time. I have a bunch of books on ghost experiences or all the different ghost ships and things that happen in famous haunted houses and people's paranormal um, experiences of, uh, oh gosh you know, attacked or something like that. I've watched tons of films that, and that's typically my favorite genre I go to is I get very spooked about that. However, while I will engage by reading and even writing or watching, I do not like experiencing it myself. <laughs> I am a chicken. I am scared. Um, and it's because I do believe. And yeah, that's kind of where I land on things. And so this is why I like these two films, The Innkeepers, and I really like uh, The Legend of Hell House because it really brings in that dichotomy of why believing can lead to some actually some dangerous things so if you're not careful this whole podcast episode i hope no one's taken it as like we're you know we don't believe we're being um disrespectful in any way if anything we're both very interested we just have two different perspectives when it comes to it but we also want to engage with people and say like hey when these things do happen you know be careful um especially if you are an amateur ghost hunter and you're out there like you are in potentially dangerous areas and so you need to be careful um despite what you believe if you're a believer or not well said <laughs> that ends our spooky episode on haunted houses and paranormal investigation we want to thank dance with the dead for our intro and outro music robies and all of you listeners who have been supporting us over the past six months we want to remind you to follow us on our, on our website w.spinstersofhorror.com facebook spinsters of horror twitter at horror spinsters instagram at spinsters of horror as well please please Rate and review us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcasting app you listen to us on. And reminder, we now have merch. Please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts and buy stickers from our shop on our website. February is Women in Horror Month. Yay! It is the 10-year anniversary of this wonderful, wonderful month. So, for the month of February, we'll be celebrating women in horror with all of my reviews... Jess's blog post being about women and their contributions to the beloved horror genre. Our next episode will have a focus on death and grief in Mary Lambert's Pet Cemetery 1 and 2. And until then, remember, the future of fear is female.